Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this morning in the name of Jesus, our King who helps us to see the invisible. Greetings. Our call to worship today is the 146th Psalm. Hear God's Word with me as I read it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. <clears throat> On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose God, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free, and the psalmist says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that we are back in the meeting house of the Lord. Um, It's good to be here, Lord. Two weeks ago, we missed so much getting to gather together as Your people. We thank You that You call us. You have called us to be Your children, and so we are. You've called us to be Your people, and You have called us indeed to worship You. You have opened our eyes, Lord. You have taken us from blindness to sight. You have taken us from darkness to light. And we are here to thank You, to praise You, to worship You. We ask that our feeble attempt, Lord, to worship You in song and in studying Your Word and preaching Your Word would be acceptable to You. We thank You that in the midst of our enemies all about us, You have spread a table before us and anointed our heads with oil. We are joyful to be here to encourage one another comfort one another, and to praise and worship You, our God, our Rock, our King, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please stay standing just for a moment. I'm going to read my sermon text, and then we'll pray. The text is from 1 Peter 1, 
verses 8 and 9, God's Word says this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. God, we have never seen You, literally with our human eyes, but we thank You for all that You have revealed to us about Yourself and about us and our need for You. And Lord, I pray that You would speak through me this morning, that I might have no original thoughts, but only speak truthfully what You have given us in Your Word, that I might rightly divide it for Your praise and Your glory and our edification. And I ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. About a week ago, I'm in my driveway, and uh, a couple of the kids were riding bikes. My beloved son, Mark Ephraim, was out there driving in ovals, you know, like they all do. And I saw something unusual. I saw Mark riding, you know, pretty much full speed, as fast as you can go when you're turning loops on the driveway, headed directly for the steel basketball hoop that was in our, ba- in our, in our driveway. Nine-year-old son pedaling fast on a bike. There's two concrete blocks on that holding it in place. I know what's about to happen. And so as soon as I see it, I scream, Mark, stop! He screeches on the brakes, so he avoids full speed impact, but he did gently crash into the basketball hoop, but no, no major injuries. Uh, now you might ask, why? Why was Mark riding full speed toward the basketball hoop? And the answer is, he was riding like this. Pedaling for all he's worth, looking directly back over his shoulder. Now, how many of you parents have ever told your kids, don't look backwards when you're riding a bike, right? One of the cardinal rules of bike riding. But my beloved son had temporarily forgotten that rule, and he paid the price for it, almost paid a bigger price. So as we talk about seeing the invisible, my first comment to you is, if there's things you're able to see, and there are things that the Lord allows us to see, if, you know, be looking, Right? Uh, If you're not looking, it doesn't matter if you can see them or not. If you're looking the wrong way, you're going to miss some important things. The Bible says that faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things what? Not seen. That's what faith is, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. So I got to thinking and praying and reading through some scriptures, and I thought, uh, again, there's nothing really profound here, but... Um, it might be worth talking about things that we cannot see. Most of the things we believe in the Christian faith are invisible things. And, you know, whenever atheists debate uh, Christians, or even when they're not debating, one of the tenets of atheism typically has to do with, if I can't see it, if I can't observe it, it isn't real. They like to talk about science, because in science you're only dealing with observable, tangible, physical things, laws that can be proven by observation and repeated trials, right? And so they immediately, and honestly, some, somewhat for some good reason, 
They will listen to theists, those of us that believe in an invisible God, and they'll say, what on earth? You know, why would you believe in something that you cannot see? Not only can you not see it, but you have never seen it. Now, as believers in Christ, we can kind of scorn that and say, oh, they don't get it. The Lord hasn't opened their eyes. But we were all there at one point, right? We've been blind to things. I spent 22 years of my life with things that right now are so obvious just right here. And I'm missing them because I was blind to them. So it's strange that our faith is based on things we can't see. And I'll give you a short list of some things I thought of. I'm sure there are many others. Here's some things we can't see, and then I'll I'll take some time and just touch on each one of these seven or eight things. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those three important persons that we have not seen. Heaven, and the new heavens and the new earth. The great cloud of witnesses. Angels. Satan and his demons. We've never seen God's plan for us. We hear a lot about it, we read a lot about it, never seen it. We've never seen our true enemies. And we've never seen our ultimate victory in Christ. So as Christians, let's let's just go into the Word and talk a little bit about each of these things. First, God the Father. And I'll give you a couple of scriptures. First Timothy 1.17 has these beautiful words of doxology. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible. The only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. It says it right there, He's invisible. John 6, 46, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. So no man has ever seen the Father. 1 Peter chapter 1, I read it in my text. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. We all confess to loving God, and yet we've never seen Him. Jesus the Son. Now that's a little different. Many people did see Jesus the Son. He was the Word made flesh. He was visible. They touched Him. They saw Him. They walked with Him. But none of us in the room have ever seen Him. There were Christophanies, these appearances of Christ in the Old Testament before He was incarnate. He certainly was alive and walked the earth for about 33 years. We all know those stories from the Gospel. And yet the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity... Anybody in here want to say you've seen Jesus? I hope not. You know, he's gone, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We have not seen him. This man, the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, this man, Jesus Christ, on whom we base everything we believe, all of our hope, never laid eyes on him. How about the Holy Spirit? Well, obviously, He's a spirit. By definition, a spirit is invisible. So it's not one of us. We see the work of the Holy Spirit. We see the results of what God has done. None of us have ever seen the Holy Spirit. So we believe in one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we've never seen any of them. And yet everything we believe rests on their existence, but they're invisible to us. You know, we've all heard this from the time we've become followers of Christ, and yet isn't it strange if you just step back, doesn't that strike you as odd? We've never seen God. Here's another thing that's odd. And this has been more real to me with Kirsten's death. Oh, I don't need to recount all the tragedies. Patty, Patty's death last week, the terrible tragedy in the Goldsmith family, 
uh, with Christie's sister-in-law. And, you know, we've all, we've all experienced death at one time in our life, a lot of these, unfortunately, recently. But we talk about, and I've been thinking a lot about heaven. I preached about it a few weeks ago. Heaven being our home. We know we are just sojourners. This is not our home, right? We are, not, we are citizens of earth, but really only temporarily. We know we're just a passing through. And when we're done here, our life, James says, is like a vapor. Just, it's going to come and go. It's, it's so quick and so short, sometimes much shorter than what we anticipated. Amen? But we have this hope of heaven, of being with the Lord for all eternity. For so long that our our finite brains can't even conceive of it. And we dream of it. And the the Bible gives us little clues and little hints about heaven. But frankly, there's a lot we don't know about it. I talked about Kirsten's soul has gone to be with the Lord. I don't have any idea really what that means. I have some little glimpses. But this place where each and every one of us who are followers of Christ, we're going to spend eternity there. It is our true home. And uh, when um, Brother Fermanoff was here from Russia a few weeks ago, we talked about this, about heaven. And he's friends with Randy Alcorn, who's written all these, gave me one of his books about heaven. And, you know, this is God's home. Like, think of the nicest home you've ever been in. The, the most hospitable person or the biggest, most luxurious, whatever the most beautiful, relaxing, fantastic home you've ever been in. And you think, this person just laid it all out for me. Oh, I love being here. That's nothing compared to what God has prepared for us. Amen? He has gone to prepare a place for us, for each of us as His children. It's unfathomable, and yet we've never seen it. We're going to spend eternity there, and it is literally our home. You know, when I go to the Goldsmiths, I think, this is a home, right? The, the family homestead. And all of us long to have a place that you're just like, when I'm here, I don't really want to be anywhere else. This is where my family's been for generations. Or in my case, uh, Nathan Clark George has a song about, uh, what's it called? A Better Sense of Place or something like that. When he lived in the Dakotas, he said, I'm not from here, but this is home to me. When I'm here, I just feel like the Lord put me here. And so we long for this heavenly home, this new heavens and new earth, None of us have ever been there. None of us have ever even, what? Seen it. We've never seen our home. That is so strange. We long for it. We look forward to it. With the death of loved ones that are in Christ, we especially think, oh, I can't wait to be there to see them again and to be with the angels and to be with Christ face to face. But we've never seen it. I think of places, getaway places and vacation spots we've been. I think, oh, I can't wait to go back. Because I can picture it. I know what it looks like. But I've never been to my home. And neither have you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, As it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. A number of Christians have said, just kind of as a side note, they said and confessed, they say, I don't really look forward to dying because heaven seems like it's going to be boring. I don't know what heaven's going to be like exactly, but I, I can promise you it is not going to be boring. It's not going to be the floaty thing. You know, it's going to be exciting and beautiful, feasting, beauty, glory in the presence of God with our loved ones who have gone before us, with the angels. 
It's going to be incredible. Which leads me to the next thing we've never seen. That talks uh, talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. The great cloud of witnesses. Have you ever seen them? Don't raise your hand. None of us have ever seen the great cloud of witnesses. But the Bible tells us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now again, I don't, I'm not going to stand here and tell you exactly what that means. But it does seem to indicate all these martyrs, all these witnesses, all these who have gone before us in Christ that have died, somehow they're, they're here with us. Or they're watching over us. Um, you know, they're not, they're not pining away for anything. They're not, as I talked about at, at Kirsten's memorial service a couple weeks ago, she's not missing us. Nobody that's gone to be with the Lord is missing us. Right? They're in the presence of the Lord. But they are somehow a cloud of witnesses to us. We are surrounded by them. Imagine how encouraged we would feel if you could have the Apostle Paul, Jonathan. Jonathan was saying how great it was. You know, we haven't seen him for a couple weeks to come back and just be like, oh, I've been longing to be with you all. And those times where we have little lulls when we're going through difficulties and we're not sleeping for a month at a time. I mean, our church has been through some stuff this year, haven't we? I remember Pastor Mark preaching prophetically less than a year ago about we've had it so good here, but there's going to come a time when hard times are going to come. You remember that? And we all kind of knew it was true, but you cringe and you're like, oh, don't, we don't want that. But here we are going through this incredible time of enormous numbers of health difficulties, the foises, in and out of the hospital with numerous things. And I... I could go through the whole list. Every family here has had their stuff and is still going through stuff. But wouldn't it be encouraging if the Apostle Paul could come along and say, I went through some stuff too, Steve. I had a thorn in the flesh. You had this thing, I had my thing too. Man, let me tell you, I I was beaten, I was whipped, I was imprisoned, I was falsely accused. I've been there. But hang in there. Hang in there, Derek. I'm watching you and I'm here with you. Imagine if Job, you know, it's almost rhetorical to say, how many of us have felt like Job? My brother Jason has to have felt like Job. Probably humbly you'd say, no, I'm nothing like Job. You are like Job. I felt like Job. Paul, you feel it? Like, Lord, really? I'm, I'm all for struggle and putting me through sanctification, but this is, this is really, really hard. This is way, way beyond anything I can do. Right? Have we been there? What would it be like to have Job? Job was a real man. You know that? One of the oldest books in the Bible. What would it be like to have Job come, literally put his arm around you and go, man, you are going through it. I went through it too. You know what Job went through? He had nine children. Is that right? Ten children. He had ten children. He lost them all in one day. You think he suffered hardship and tragedy? And I'm not saying we haven't. Job knows it. He was there. Imagine having Job of the great cloud of witnesses coming and going, I am with you here. I mean, I'm not God, but brother or sister, I can see what you're going through and it hurts. I've been there too. Hang in there. We're watching you. We're, we're cheer- I don't know what he'd say. We're cheering for you. We're, we want to encourage you. God pulled me through it. God will pull you through too. Whatever they would say, wouldn't that be incredible? To see Job and have that conversation. To see the Apostle Paul. 
to see your grandma or grandpa who is a faithful follower of Christ to come and sit down with you and say, the family's watching you. The family knows what you're going through. Be encouraged. Oh, wait till you cross the river and come to the other side. You're not going to believe what's on the other side of that veil. But we don't see it, do we? We don't see them. What we see is the empty chair at the table. We see the gravestone. That's what we see. Years ago, uh, Kirsten and I were big fans of a contemporary Christian musical artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, when Kirsten was eight months pregnant with Corinne, we, Stephen Curtis Chapman was at Walmart for some reason signing autographs. We heard about it and we went and stood in line for like a half an hour. Kirsten out to here and we stood in line and got our picture taken. It's in one of our scrapbooks with Stephen Curtis Chapman. We were into Stephen Curtis Chapman. And then as we became reformed and I got older, I guess, I don't know, my musical preferences started drifting more toward Fernando Ortega, Nathan Clark George, the hymnody of Steve Green. We, we backburnered our Stephen Curtis Chapman bebop music. But the Downies were kind enough to send me uh, a suggestion that we get a hold of this CD that Stephen Curtis Chapman put out about 10, 10 or 11 years ago after the tragic death of his little girl. And he was in the midst of it when he made this music. How many know this CD? Have you heard it? Wow. I mean, that has really ministered to me uh, this week. A number, the, the whole CD is really just about the pain of not being able to see what God is doing. What are you doing here, Lord? There's, I thought there was this plan for my life. It's going way different than what I thought. There's a song in there about, uh, I believe, about two miscarried children. I don't know if it's their children. I don't know the story. The song is called Michael and Maria. And a number of us, including me and Kirsten and, and others of you in the congregation, have suffered through miscarriage. There's a line in there that says, and of course, miscarried children typically are children that what we've never seen. We know they're there. They're real immortal souls with a body, but we've never seen them. And there's a line that says, we never really knew how much we loved you till we lost you. I know we didn't really lose you. It just looks that way from here. That doesn't break your heart. It just looks that way from here. So these real children. I have a real child that I've never seen. At least one. But that child is now part, I believe, of the great cloud of witnesses. There's something else we can't see. Angels. You know, we get these little Christmas tree ornaments with the little gold wings that flutter when the, when the wind goes by. That is nothing what angels look like. I don't know what angels look like, but it's not that. All I know is in the Bible, every time an angel appears, what do the people do? They're on their face, terrified by the awesome splendor and glory and majesty, not of God, but of this created being, this angel. That's going to be something to see. You heard in, in, uh, in the story that uh, Derek read, I think, from 2 Kings, about these angels that are out there. Oh, no, no, there's a whole army here on our side. You just can't see them. Lord, open his eyes so he can see it. Whoa. Okay, now I'm not afraid. Wouldn't we be less afraid, less timid, more bold, if we could see the angels of God around us? 
Have you ever had a real experience where something so incredible happened that you knew God must have had an angel there protecting you or your child or your loved one? And then someone later says, I prayed for you right about one o'clock that day. And you go, that's exactly when the Lord protected me. That might have been one of his angels there to protect you. I'm going to read another story. Most of you are familiar at least with this. I'm just going to take two minutes, give you a third reading today. Um, And I'll read this passage from Numbers chapter 22. Listen to this passage about invisible angels. Starting in verse 21. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And to me, this is the funniest part of the story. Balaam, when the donkey talks to him, he starts talking back. And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. So the donkey's saying, don't you think something's going on here? I've been your donkey all this time. I've never done this kind of thing to you before. Almost as if to say, I can see something you can't see. And here's the conclusion of the story. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. Opened his eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. So there's angels around us. Powerful. Beings sent by the Lord. The word angel means messenger, right? These are beings that have been sent to minister unto us. If only we could see them. If only we had the eyes of a donkey, for crying out loud. Better than Balaam to see these angels around us. Here's the next thing we don't see. We don't see God's plan. When I worked uh, at the last bank 
or I labored for five years. I joined a new team and we had a two-day off-site. How many of you have ever worked in a company where you have an off-site meeting? The reason you have an off-site is because something so important and dramatic is going to happen. You cannot be distracted by the water cooler and all these other people in the office. We got away to this place. There's baskets of candy and there's food catered in. Something serious is going to happen. And we spent two days hashing out this written plan for our team. There's eight of us. Here's our plan. We strategized. We changed verbiage. We argued over which word should be in the plan. And the goal was at the end of the two days, we put it up on the wall in the parking lot, right? Every corporate meeting has to have a parking lot. So we put it in the parking lot on the wall so we could all stand back and just be like, wow, that is our plan. I'm going to tell you, we spent two full days working on that plan and we wrote it. We created and wrote the plan We went back to the office, and we didn't do hardly anything that was in that plan. So even when you have a really crystal clear, expertly written, perfectly designed, ingeniously strategized plan, it's still difficult to do what you're supposed to do. But God tells us in His Word He has this plan for us, but He doesn't show it to us. He has this plan for our future. Stephen Curtis Chapman sings about this too in the, the title song, this, The Glorious Unfolding. He said there's this plan. It's not, it's not what you thought it was. It's something totally different. God's going to take all these broken pieces and make something beautiful. And we go, yeah, yeah. Tell me what it is. Show me the plan. Raise your hand if you ever wanted to see the plan. Come on. We all want to see it. Oh, what I would give to see that plan. Thankfully, he doesn't show it to us. I was with Kirsten's parents yesterday up and some of her extended family. And uh, we were just saying, I said to someone, I'm so glad God didn't tell me when I met Kirsten 18 years ago what was in store. I, I, I thought I wanted to know the plan. I did not want to know the plan. I'm so glad he didn't tell me that he didn't show it to me. But there's something in us because we have off-site meetings that we go, Lord, I know you have a plan. I trust your word that it's good. It's better than I can imagine, but can't you just show it to me? I want to see the plan. I want to see the plan. Because in our pride, we think, if I could see the plan, I could what? I could understand it. If I could see God's plan, I would know where He's going. I would know how He's going to put all the pieces together. Not true. Right? Praise God, He doesn't show us His plan. But it doesn't mean it's not difficult still. To have this plan laid out for us, plans with promise and a future, but we don't know what it is because we can't see it. All right. We could talk about that for a long time. Think about Joseph in the Bible back in the book of Genesis. You know the story. He's sold as a slave. His brothers hate him because he keeps interpreting their dreams and saying, I'm going to, you're all going to bow down to me. And they're like, out with this character. They sell him. He ends up being sold as a slave, going to Egypt. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And he ends up where? In the slammer. Here's Joseph, son of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. He thought he had this plan, right? I know my lineage. Oh yeah, I'm child of the promise. I'm Joseph, son of Jacob. And here I am sitting, rotting in a prison in Egypt. You think he's wondering what the plan was? How confusing, how humiliating. 
And then he, you know, the, he tells the cupbearer, when he gets the cupbearer out, he says, hey, tell, tell him about me. Don't let him forget about me. And the cupbearer totally forgets to tell him about Joseph until there's a need to have a dream interpreted. And they call, hey, there's a guy that can do this in prison. They bring Joseph up. And you know the rest of the story. He ends up being prime minister of Egypt. Who would have thought up that plan? You think Joseph would have picked that plan? All right. Last couple of things that we can't see that I wrote down. One is our invisible enemies. You know, there's lots of movies where you're fighting the bad guy and then they disappear, they go invisible, and you see the guy swinging his sword and, you know, doesn't know which way to turn. That's difficult, isn't it? When you're fighting an enemy you can't see. But the Bible tells us this is where we are. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our enemies are spiritual. They're not carnal. That makes for a tough battle. Military guys know. It helps to see the enemy, right? To see who you're fighting against. I'm sure if our brother Bill was here, he could tell us some stories of when he's flying over. If he could drop something on somebody, it helps to see them. Right? But we have invisible victory. We have victory, but we can't see it. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. This comes right before the famous verse that we all recite and know so well in verses 7 and 8. But verses 4 through 6 say this But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up, listen to this, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not saying someday you're going to be seated. It says He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Can we see that? We're seated with Christ. But that's invisible to us because we're here in time and space in the flesh and we can't see it. If we could have, you know, well, I was going to say, if we could have a five second glimpse of that, we'd never be the same. And I'm sure that's true. But that's kind of like the guys that say, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. We have plenty already enough to believe and to be inspired and encouraged. But wouldn't that be neat to have five seconds of sitting there, of being able to see what it's like as we are indeed right now seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. This isn't something in the future. He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's hard to see though, isn't it? I mean, we can see it a little bit here in the congregation, but still difficult to see that we are transferred into His kingdom. Alright, I want to close with a couple of applications. What do we make of this? Obviously, by definition, invisible means it's impossible to see something. It's impossible. But we need to see them. We need to see these things. We need the Holy Spirit to do the impossible. It's impossible for us to see something invisible. But God specializes in the impossible. This is where He comes and says, you can't see it, but you need to, and I'm going to give you eyes to see. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 
That should be our prayer. Lord, open my eyes. I want to see these wondrous things. I flew into Chicago about a month ago. Uh, anybody ever flown into Chicago? A few of you? So it's pretty neat. Uh, and it was kind of a cloudy day. We're coming in uh, over the clouds, and I'm thinking, they're saying we're approaching Chicago, and I'm like, I don't see it. I just see clouds. And it's frustrating, because I know it's cool to see, and then when you get below the clouds, suddenly, ah, there it is. The Sears, they don't call it the Sears Tower anymore. They've renamed it. But it's the Sears Tower. You can see it. You can see the Hancock Center with the two big spires. Clear as day. You see Lake Michigan out there? The shoreline, there is Chicago. Clear as crystal. It was there the whole time. Anyone who's flown knows this experience. When you're above the clouds, you see nothing but white. And then suddenly you're through it and it all opens up crystal clear. This is what we need. These things that I've gone through, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, the great cloud of witnesses, the angels. We need to see them and they're there. They're real right now, today. So we need to pray, Lord, open my eyes, part the clouds that I can see these things. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians as we see through a glass darkly, right? It's fuzzy, it's hazy. We can't make sense of what we're seeing. So when you're in the clouds, I'm not a pilot, but I have a friend that was a pilot, and he says you've got to fly by the instruments, right? When you can't see with your eyes, you've got to look at the instrument panel. Our instrument panel is the Word of God. It's what makes it clear. It parts the cloud so we can read it and say, these promises are from God. His word is true. I can count on it. And it allows us to see these things that are otherwise invisible to us. Since Kirsten died and went to be with the Lord, I I have confessed to a number of you, I feel like I'm flying blind. And any husband in the room will easily relate to me. Imagine trying to do all the things that happen in your household without your wife. I mean, literally, I am, I am completely missing some things that ought to be seen, that need to be seen, and I am just completely blanking them. Not even, I'm not even aware that I'm missing them because I'm flying blind. And so, this is a word of encouragement. Here's an application point to you husbands and you young men that are not married that would like to be a husband someday. Hear me now. When God gives you a good wife, treasure her and appreciate her for among many things, for that vision that she gives you. She can see these things. Am I right, guys? Many times our wives can see these things. They're sensitive. They have the eyes to see things that we men cannot see. Right, Derek? We talked about that this week. We were saying, I said, I am one of the dullest people. Like, something can be right here in front of my face, and someone has to come and go, Andy, look, it's right there. Because I just, whereas Kirsten would see it a mile away. She can see it coming. Right, guys? This is true of our wives. So you young men that want to be married. Hey, Mitchell, here's one for you. Right? You're, the, you're next on deck. You're in the on-deck circle here. So Shelby is going to be a great gift to you in this. She's going to see things you can't see. And when she says things, this is me talking now, but I think I can speak on behalf of the men. Sometimes you're going to go, honey, I think you're off on this one. I love you, but... But when you're tempted to say that, remind yourself, God has given her to me for this purpose. She's going to see things that I don't see. She's going to help part the clouds and things will become clear. And later you look back and go, and you'll learn over time to trust her more and more because she'll do it over and over. And I'm not saying she's perfect or she has clairvoyance 
But I am saying God gifts our wives with this. And so you'll see her. Write it down. She did it again. She saw this. She told me. And it turned out to be true. And over time, even if you're dull like me, you'll eventually go, i got to start listening more. When she says stuff that sounds out there, or kind of like it doesn't make sense, very much like God's Word, right? We read some things in our flesh in God's Word and we go, nah, I don't think so. Must have been translated wrong. You know, I mean, I'm joking, but we kind of shake our head and go, that, that just doesn't make sense. It's not because the Bible has erred and gone astray. It's because we're so far off course. The clouds are here. We're seeing darkly. The Word is true. And it can be depended upon. And so too can the counsel of our wives sometimes. So here's my prayer, that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to understand God's Word and to love this God even more, this God whom we have never seen. May He strengthen our faith to believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place, a real physical place for us. By the way, do you know that heaven, if you take Revelation literally, and I'm not saying I necessarily do, but if you look at the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalems described in Revelation, it's about as wide as like Appalachian Mountains to Nevada and Canada to Mexico and about that high. That's a big space. Maybe it's not limited. I don't know. Maybe that's just a word picture or something. But this is a real place. So we need to remind ourselves that our gaze should be on that place. Even though we don't know where it is, or what it looks like. May we have eyes to see the invisible. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that as we were born in sin and continue to sin, Lord, we have seen the light because of the work You have done in our hearts, because of the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else needs to be done. I thank You, Lord, that even though now we see through a glass darkly, we see more than people did thousands of years ago. We have the risen Christ. We have Your perfect, complete, unerring Word to guide us, to be our instrument panel when we're flying through the clouds. Lord, so many of these things that are invisible to our eyes, we want to see them. We long to see and understand them. I pray You would give us that vision. Give us the sight. And as the psalmist prayed, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in Your law. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to serve you.